This week on the 10A Podcast, The Everyday Superman with Aram Cho. The more people are unfamiliar with a topic or a person or a subject, the more prejudices they come up with on their own. I, I think that's what a lot of people that potentially want to be content creators fail to realize is that there's an audience for everybody. You know, what you see now is a happy-go-lucky version of Aram Cho. But before that, I was really going through some struggles. My brain was scrambled eggs at that point. I, I think I'm a very disciplined person by nature, and I refuse to let myself fail. The only way to keep sane is to have discipline. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever and wherever you're listening. Welcome, one and all, to finally the season premiere of season three of the 10A podcast, episode 301, The Everyday Superman. First and foremost, I want to give a shout out to Jeff Smith, the musician behind my new intro song called Intimidator. I also want to thank Hey My Man Dave for agreeing to do my intro segments for season three, just like he did the previous year. And also, I want to thank Mrs. 108 for continuing to be my disclaimer reader as we lead into each episode. My guest today is a Southern California detective sergeant, the host of the 911 Strong podcast a Turning Point USA ambassador, a college professor, a father, a husband, a friend, Aram Cho. On today's episode, we talk about using social media as a business, the terrible set of circumstances that drove Aram into a place of darkness, how social media lifted him out of that darkness, how discipline kept him out of that darkness, and how a random act of kindness saved someone's life and made Aram a true everyday Superman. But before we go too far in today's topic and conversation, I want to give a quick thank you to our sponsors. Listen, it's no surprise to anyone that law enforcement agencies suck at getting the word out to their citizens they serve. Whether it's debriefing a critical incident or educating the public about various aspects of law enforcement, it takes a special skill set that too many in law enforcement don't have. In this ever-changing world of social media, do you your agency, and your community a favor and check out TOC Public Relations, a company ran by former law enforcement to help you get your message out in an appropriate and professional way. Check them out on social media as well as TOCPublicRelations.com. Let me tell you something you already know. Living a life in public service is a life of sacrifice, but you cannot serve the community or back your partner up if you're not physically able to do so. According to a report by the Wall Street Journal, more than 40% of law enforcement officers are obese. Other studies have found that police officers are 25% more likely to die from weight-related disorders like cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and even some cancers. Why continue to be a liability to your partners, your loved ones, your community, and yourself? Contact the folks at fit.responders and get your fight back. This episode is also brought to you by my new friends over at RTI Training, giving the type of training that incorporates humor and knowledge that cops respond to. Listen, we all know that you will never retain anything thanks to death by PowerPoint. So do yourself a favor and check out the new kids on the block when it comes to police training. They are revelationstraining.com. 
And guys, I also want to tell you about our sponsor, Jiu-Jitsu 5.0. They just came out with the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app. It is the ultimate training tool for all law enforcement. Members of the app get on-demand access to a huge library of techniques for the streets, grappling-based workouts, yoga, and a monthly nutrition plan. They also have 24-hour, 7-day-a-week access to Jason, the founder of Jiu-Jitsu 5.0, for personalized training assistance. So... Go to the app store of your choosing and download the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app today. It's available for Android as well as Apple, so get on it now. And last but not least, this episode is brought to you by Thin Vine Wines. Thin Vine Wines is a mission-driven wine company that proudly backs first responders and the military. With a background in law enforcement, their support for police, dispatch, fire, and the military is unwavering. Thin Vine Wines donates $2 from every bottle sold to law enforcement and military-driven nonprofits. Making awesome wine is the vehicle. Making wine with a purpose is the mission. Check out their social medias at Thin Vine Wines on Instagram and Facebook and order online at thinvine.wine using the code 108TEN, the number 8, for $10 off two or more bottles of wine. Guys, do me a favor. Go check out all those sponsors. They're helping support me and my vision, so it's only right that you guys go give them the same support. They're all on social media. Go check them out. Like them, share them, follow them, and obviously support their business. Check them out. So, this being the first episode of Season 3, the format is a little different, as I'm sure you've noticed, so I'd like to go over that real quick before we dive into the conversation. This part, my uh, my intro, my monologue, is going to have basically the overarching theme that ties directly into the episode. I know usually sometimes I kind of go off on a tangent, sometimes it's really nothing, but the goal is to have a theme for the episode. Basically, my two cents on the topic at hand before we get into the interview. And then after the interview, that's kind of like the wild card. We're either going to have some call-ins, maybe some bonus material, maybe some extra guests, or maybe I'm just going to talk and wrap up the show. I'm not really sure. That's kind of up in the air depending on what we have each individual week. So as we go into it, hopefully you guys enjoy the, the modified format. It's not really different. It's just a little bit more modified. So today's theme is all about discipline. As I alluded in the Season 3 trailer a few weeks ago, if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. One of the main pillars of this season is going to be personal growth. I used to always believe and adhere to this notion that you had to stand alone. Go alone and go without. Looking at the big archetypes and characters that I used to grow up idolizing, my father... Batman, cowboys, pirates, gangsters, all these things are just strong, stoic beings that always seem to handle business that needed to be done. They were never seen complaining, they never they just put down their head and they did what they needed to do. And that's exactly true. At the end of the day it comes down to what you can do and what needs to be done. That doesn't mean that you can't have guidance and mentors along the way or even an entire team. But at the end of the day, you need to do what needs to be done. You need to do the work. Over the next few weeks, we're actually going to be talking about discipline in a couple different contexts. We're going to be talking about martial arts. We're going to be talking about fitness. And really, it's kind of the overarching theme of the first part of the season. Every kind of conversation we've had, you're going to see, has a lot to do with personal discipline. It's one thing to be motivated. Literally anyone can be motivated. But it takes true masters to be disciplined and continue to go and to do what needs to be done. 
A great podcast I've listened to is an episode of the Order of Man podcast with the guest Chris Williamson. I've shared clips of the episode before, but something they focus on is starting small and staying consistent. And that is something exactly what my guest Aram Cho has figured out, and that's what we discussed. Anything worth having takes a lot of consistent work. Take a look at me in this podcast. I've been working on this for three years. Now, I'm not where I want to be, right? The the top of the mountain just keeps getting further and further up. But I'm a lot further along than where I was in 2020 and a hell of a lot further along than if I never started at all. If you would have told me in the summer of 2020 when I first thought of doing this in the first place that I would have interviewed some figures like Dennis Benino, Grady Judd, and Dave Grossman, I wouldn't have believed you. But persistence has always carried me through. My whole life living up to my family motto of never give up. Don't get me wrong, some days are harder than others to stay on the path, and some days, sometimes, the ways and the means of accomplishing the goals, they may change, but I never, never give up. It's literally inked into my skin. Alright guys, now that I hopefully got you hyped for this conversation and topic today, it is time for me to introduce my new friend, Detective Sergeant Aram Cho, here on the 10-8 Podcast. We are back. Joining me is uh, a guy who's been kind of all over social media. He's been around for a long time. It, I followed him before I had my page. Uh, we have we have Aram Cho. How you doing, man? Good, Charlie. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. It is uh, it's my pleasure to have you on the show to kick off my new season. So this is uh, very exciting. Very happy to be for you to be here. Yeah, I didn't know this was the kickoff to the new season, so I'm I'm flattered. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for my listeners who may not be familiar with you, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, tell us you know who you are, where you're from, mm-hmm. and we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, uh, let's. Real quick, I don't want to bore your listeners, but uh, I'm still an active police sergeant. I know a lot of social media cops out there, uh, retired, part-time, or or maybe not even real cops. But uh, no, I'm in my 23rd year of law enforcement. I'm a uh, detective sergeant, and I'm in charge of a very busy detective bureau. Um, you know, and part-time, I teach uh, journalism, communications, and uh, public relations at California Baptist University. School that I'm very proud to have graduated from, and now I teach there. And um, you know, social media just kind of happened. You know, I uh, I needed it for uh, personal therapy. You know, if you followed my early stuff, I like to make people laugh. Uh, I used to make some silly, silly videos. For whatever reason, they got traction, and and you know, my social media has evolved and pivoted over the years. But uh, here I am now doing historical. Uh, related police videos that shouldn't be really taking off. Uh, but yeah, that's me in a nutshell. I really, I like the new stuff that you're putting out. I feel like it's, it's teaching people the culture of police departments and police life that, you know, everyone, no one really knows. And I, I've been watching the, the newer content and I really like kind of getting the, the, the history of it all because you know I, I, I was a history major for some time. I really enjoy awesome. history, but to, but to learn the history of this profession and, and different, why we do certain things like the, the bagpipe video you just posted the other day. Uh, I think it's a really interesting take that 
I don't really see all that much of. Yeah, and it really surprises me what people gravitate towards, right? Because this is all a big experiment. Social media is you put content out there and, and you hope uh, people like it. And some of the stuff you put effort into maybe doesn't get traction. And some of the stuff that just pops up in your head, like this bagpipe video, it popped up in my head. Um, I created the content. And I mean, it's, I put it out over a week ago and it's still being shared. Um, and it, as of right now, just on Reels, it has over 150,000 views, which is great for me. I'm monetized on Reels, so I'll take mm. it. Uh, but that's not why I do it. I, you're absolutely right. I think the more people are unfamiliar with a topic or a person or a subject, uh, the more prejudices they can come up with on their own. So, um, you know, you go back in history, people were unfamiliar with Irish people, Scottish people. They were different than the other European European people that came to the New World. And uh, they spoke funny and they had funny accents. They dressed funny. They ate different food. And so automatically they were discriminated against. And, you know, if we look to, to, towards today, so many people even today are unfamiliar with law enforcement that there are prejudices against law enforcement. There are some unknowns and people just make their own assumptions. Well, let, let's make it as familiar of a profession as possible. And then that's what I'm trying to do. Cause I think everybody's connected on social media now. And um, if I can just put little tidbits to make people feel more familiar with our profession, I, I think the better off we as a society can be. Absolutely. And I think it's in a, and it's in a medium mm-hmm. where, you know, people are engaged, you know, obviously social media is, is it people don't sit down and watch network television anymore. So when you put out something like that, there's a higher chance that people are going to see it. And then when you kind of structure it in a way that's enjoyable, you know, you're not just sitting there and be like, all right, so bagpipes came to be like, no one's going to pay attention to that either. You're (laughs) you're engaging when, when people are listening as well. Yeah. I I think my background as a public information officer and a public relations communications journalism major is kind of coming in handy. I I know how to make things, you know, if you don't have somebody in the first three seconds, uh, they're just going to scroll to the next real right uh, or move on to the next page so yeah I, I try to incorporate some of the things that i teach and some of the things i get from my experience and make whatever i put on reels which is usually a 30 second to a minute uh thing engaging i want people to be to grab onto it in the first three seconds and hang on for the ride and that's the great experiment right um I, I think that's what a lot of people that potentially want to be content creators um, or the next big YouTube star fail to realize is if you lose, if you don't grab them in the first few seconds, they're gone. Right. And, you know, I, I'm speaking from personal experience. It's, it's a tough road to hoe because it changes so rapidly. Like mm-hmm. things like podcasts, yeah. long form conversations, they're not, I mean, they're in, but they're also not trendy. You know what I mean? Like, because again, you got to catch them in the first three seconds. So it's almost like, you know, you've got to wow them in that first three seconds and then hope they dig more and then they get here to this the long form conversations, things like that. That's the the tricky part is kind of figuring out what is popular now. Like reels are popular now, TikToks are popular now. Whereas like just what I do, memes, they're kind of da- on the downslope because of the way the algorithms are working and things like that. Yeah, your your memes almost have to pivot towards being reels now, right? You might have to grab ten second clips and turn those into memes. Um, and the content is out there; you just have to go fish for them. Uh, but in terms of podcasts, you're absolutely right. I started my podcast, uh, the 911 Strong Podcast, three years ago. And uh, when we debuted, we debuted and we broke into the top 100 in uh, society and culture on the Apple charts in the United States. And for whatever reason, the next few episodes kind of dipped. And I think that there's hype built around it. 
Uh, it helps to have an established audience on social media uh, to point towards your uh, podcast. But, you know, we kept true to what we wanted to do, my co-host and I, and we were consistent. And we're 75 episodes in, and uh, we've never very uh, veered from our original format, which was conversations and education. And, um, you know, I'm happy to say that we've maintained the top 200 in multiple countries on the Apple charts. And um, when I give people advice, um, you know, people come to me all the time, hey, you have a good podcast. I'd like to start my own because everybody wants to start a podcast now. Mm -hmm. My advice to them is build an audience, build a presence on social media first, and then point them to your podcast because, you know, it, it, it'd be like a, a new TV show putting out a program, a TV program with no channel to put it on, right? Uh, you, you've got to have your channel sources to, to pull those people to point towards your show. Right. Um, yeah, I've, I've definitely, you know, come and gone. I've seen a bunch of people pop up a podcast and I look at their social media following and it's not great. Right. And which is okay. I mean, if you just want to, you know, grab a microphone and your computer and start talking, that's cool, you know. And like you said, when you started your social media, it was a form of therapy. And I I totally understand that too. Sometimes the conversations I have on here is more um I don't know, I get more out of it than an actual therapy session sometimes. And that's fine. But if you're actually looking to reach a bigger audience, you kind of have to have the audience to begin with. And that was where when I started my mine um three years ago that's kind of where I was. I had a decent sized audience that I was like, wow, people actually give a damn what I'm saying. Let me, let me turn this into a longer form. And that's where, um, you know, luckily the, the podcast I've noticed, you know, now going into year number three, the different peaks and valleys of like when people listen, when people don't. And I realized like why TV shows are off during the summer, why, you know, they put, they thrust their content during certain years and you start or certain parts of the year you know, it's easy to get frustrated as the person making the content. You're like, why isn't this doing it? And then you're like, Oh, well, look, that's the trend. So it's, it's very, it's, it's very interesting. Obviously you as a communications guy, you, you get it, you've seen it, you study it and now you teach it, but it's definitely something that takes a while to really kind of hone in on. Yeah. I think we've developed a culture of instant gratification here yes. in 2022 and uh, it's really hard to satisfy everybody's needs, including our own, right? Our own. We put a, a, a bit of effort into producing these podcasts. And when we put it out there, we want people to listen to it. And when it doesn't, it's quite disappointing. Yes. But the good thing about podcasts is once you publish it, it's out there. Eventually, someone's going to find it. Some of the podcasts I listen to today have been in production for several years, and I've just discovered them this year, and I'm catching up from episode one. You know, if it's out there, it's going to get listened to eventually. People are. Um, are searching for podcasts like yours and mine. Uh, there's an audience for everybody. You know, it may not be the uh, the Charlie Kirks or the Ben Shapiro's or the Joe Rogans uh, who can who have this amazing huge platform. Um, but you know, if your goal is to just get a message out for anybody that's willing to listen, and somebody listens, even if it's one person, then you've done your job. Absolutely, I think you you've nailed nailed it. I th- I've I've been using this analogy recently. Because like I said, podcasting and social media, that's like the new medium. That's like the the big thing. Um, podcasting is very much like the new 
way we get our news almost. I mean, it's very opinion based, but it's kind of that way. And you have, you know, your Ben Shapiro's, your Joe Rogan's, um, they're like the top tier. They're the, the Fox news, CNN, like that level of it. And then as you start coming back down, you know, you get kind of the, the homegrown stuff. And I think the more you get down, you're going to get way more genuine information from people. And that was what drew me to podcasts in the beginning, just listening to them. I liked that I was hearing celebrities talk. You know, the first podcast I ever listened to was a baseball podcast. And I liked hearing baseball players talk, not scripted. You know, they got to actually say what they were feeling. It wasn't just like they're promoting like a movie star. You know, they're promoting their film. These are the questions you can ask me. Don't ask me anything else. But these are legitimate conversations and you're getting people's raw emotion. And that's what I really like about these, you know, long form conversations, because after, you know, a Joe Rogan three hour podcast, nothing else is hidden. Like he has talked everything out of you. I I think that's just amazing. And I, I I think it, you know, not everyone is a talk radio person or a podcast person. So that's where, you know, you got to kind of hook them in. But when you finally start listening, you learn so much about the people, about the topics. It's it's very good. Yeah. It's your audience has very different reasons for wanting to listen to podcasts. For me, I'm a commuter. I drive 75 miles each way to work. So I I have to find things to do other than listen to the radio. Uh, I've done things from listening to audiobooks, trying to learn another language. Uh, but what stuck was podcasts because it's, I feel like I'm not driving alone anymore. I feel like I've got other people in the car having a conversation mm-hmm. that I'm listening to. And uh, I think once you kind of gauge who your audience is, what they listen to and when, you can kind of tailor make your your episodes to to appease your audience. I know most of my audience are police, police spouses, uh, people interested in police. And um, so that's obviously a hard one to pinpoint. I'm not targeting commuters like news radio is. I'm targeting a very broad audience. And as such, I've got to make the format of my show appealing to just about everybody. Um, So I I try to do that. Um, And that's something that's, you know, uh, taken a little bit for me to figure out. If you look at my stats from the first 15 episodes to what they are today, uh, they're quite different. The first fifth, first 20 episodes, I, I I don't even know if I had anybody interested in wanting to sponsor my my podcast. And here I am, fast forward till today, I've got a title sponsor and then I have four advertising slots that people fight over for getting. So instead of charging people, um, you know, the CPM rate that uh, most podcasters do, it's turned into a bidding war. So, you know, I could have been discouraged early on in my first year and said, forget this, but you know, stay consistent. You never know what's going to happen. And your little hobby might turn into something that brings in genuine revenue. Right. Right. I've been, uh, I've been listening to Gary V's book, uh, crushing it. And that's, you know, that's kind of what he always preaches. Um, definitely a, a very interesting take on social media. It's just, to me, it's took, it's taken me three years to be like, all right, social media is actually a viable form of communication because yes. growing up, Social media was like, get off that phone, get off the computer. Like, what are you doing? But, you know, and even, even now I still kind of cringe when I think about like, you know, eight year old YouTube stars, they're literally just opening toys. But if you ever like listen to those people talk, they're making genuine revenue off these things. These are businesses for these little kids. And it's, it's, it's mind blowing that it's a legit thing. And and something that I foo-fooed at for so long. And now it's like, all right, like this is a side hustle. That's actually pretty legitimate. It's just like, the cops that have the lawn care business, the pool cleaning business, like just like that, social media is one of those things now too. Yeah. And for some people, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot of effort and it's great. You know, I, I have four kids, I have a wife and 
for me, uh, whatever I do on the side that takes away from my family time has to be worth it for my family. And mm-hmm. fortunate for me, uh, I've been blessed um, for whatever reason to be able to make revenue pretty early on. And now, I mean, it's just when you think things are drying up, uh, Facebook was my bread and butter for a long time. I, for whatever reason, can't make it on YouTube. Uh, but Facebook has been my bread and butter. And then Instagram started monetizing reels. So mm-hmm. in addition to the new content, I've been recycling some of my old content and uh, the stuff I wasn't making money on before on Instagram is now making money. So um, it's definitely a viable source of income, like you said. Uh, and I, what I like about it is uh, unless you're producing these really intricate videos and editing and stuff, for me, I just record and I put it on there. It doesn't take a lot of time. And right. that's a huge benefit for me and my family. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's people that have full-blown production companies attached to their social media, but right. um, at the same time, it's something that anybody could do and put something out there and you never know what happens. Right. Instagram took away uh, to the state, took away my monetization because I've had too many posts taken down for, you know, policy. Um, was it the community standards? So I, I lost right. that. I was like, you like, just as I was really start, like I got a, I got yeah. my first uh, payment from them. I was like, ah, really? I was, I was just figuring out how to do this stuff. Yeah. But. It's a double-edged sword. I mean, you, you can't, you got, you got to be really careful that you don't fall into that rabbit hole where you're putting stuff out there that creates such a shock value that it might be in that gray area where it violates community standards. But that's the stuff people like, right? People want right. that. People want that. Oh, this guy's really putting his neck out there. But then you run the risk of being demonetized. And um, for for me, I, I think the best way to avoid that is to put original content out there. Um, you know, pages that are labeled meme pages have a hard time doing that because what you're essentially doing is taking somebody else's content, but you know, and you're modifying it to be your own spin, yeah, right, and then. You know, it's, it, eventually it's going to uh, offend, it might offend somebody or it might offend that person uh, who you're ridiculing or mocking's uh, fan base as well. So that's who you get. You get people, I, I get that all the time. Um, people that just don't like cops, they come onto my stuff and it's original as can be and they'll just, they'll report it. Uh, and, you know, I, I've been demonetized three times on Facebook because of that. And finally, I got with an agency that um, handles my Facebook management, and they communicated directly with Facebook, which is impossible for you and I to do. Sure, yeah. Um, and they were able to get them on board to look at my Instagram and Facebook and say, hey, he's a cop. He's being targeted. And they were able to look at some of the past uh, complaints and um, get me monetized again, which it hurt. It, took, it was a three-month process to get that done. Um and that was something that I was kind of uh, used to, you know, getting that money and all of a sudden it gets taken away. Right, you uh, lose that. Yeah, but, you know, I, I think being a good community partner, uh, you got to remember we're not entitled to Instagram. We're not entitled to Facebook. We're playing in their yard. So we kind of have to play by their rules. Um, yeah, yeah. And that and is, so, I think it's so easy to forget that. You know, yeah. you're like, oh, man, free speed, blah, blah. And I've said that even, you know, it's just – it does get frustrating when, but you're, you're right. People come in and they start reporting things that are like maybe either towing the line or, you know, maybe you do step a little too far and then, you know, you lose it, which is what happened to me. I, I'm pretty sure I pissed somebody off and that's why I had so many posts taken down at one time, but you know, but it does come down to that shock value. It does come down to, you know, like some of my favorite comedians of all time. They were the ones that back in the day 
they were towing that line. They were, you know, just saying what came to their mind, but they had the same struggles then as, you know, getting seen, getting whatever as, you know, maybe a meme page or even a kind of more dicey content creator would have now, you know? So it's just, unfortunately it comes down to playing the game. It baffles me. I I think your page is innocent enough yet. You have these uh, girls that are half naked uh, Mm -hmm. showing off their body and all they're doing is showing body parts and they're, they're getting millions and millions of views, right? But that there there is an audience for that. But it shocks me that that that's not um, considered a violation. Um, but sure. the stuff that we do is. But you know that's the world we live in today, and we have to abide by that if you want to be successful in this game. So uh, you know, for me, I found myself getting in trouble, getting into arguments, you know, with with people that comment adversely, and that was me. It took me a long time to realize. I'm giving them what they want. They baited me in. They wanted, they don't have their own platform. They wanted me to give them my platform. And it just took me a long time to realize, you know what? Don't give them that platform. This is your page. You can simply delete their comment. I'm not part of a government entity. Uh, My page doesn't represent a government entity. So I'm not violating terms of service by deleting their comment. So I either delete them and I have the last laugh or I just ignore them. Um, but, but it's something that you have to do to, uh, become successful, uh, to make that post successful. It, the algorithm, uh, responds to comments that are generated and including your comments. So if you respond to other people's comments, uh, it stimulates that, that algorithm. So the important thing to do is to make sure you're not commenting on the negative ones, ignore those comment, reward the positive ones that come onto your page. Right. Which, which, I mean, that's just kind of how life is, right? Like, you know, you want to promote the good in the world and and just disregard what isn't, which doesn't work for you. So I think that's a great idea. And if anyone's listening that manages their own social media or manages maybe their department, social media, all these things are really important to take into consideration. Uh, And me, I'm just learning everything about from, from one of the masters of of social media right now, I'm I'm learning it. (laughs) Um, but those are all great points, but you know, it's kind of, I want to, I want to take a, a big step back. You said that what got you into social media in the first place, it was kind of like for your own mental health. How exactly, how exactly was that transition or how did you open that up? Um, I was going through a rough time. Um, you know, what you see now is a happy go lucky version of Aram Cho. Um, but before that I was really going through some struggles, um, in 2013, my dad, who was a Vietnam vet, uh, committed suicide. He, um, he had his own personal demons he was dealing with, and uh, he shielded a lot of that from us. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was 18, so uh, my mom and dad didn't really have uh, a great relationship. Um, so my mom didn't know. Uh, my dad was you know, busy running his, uh, his business, and it was thriving. He had a lot of employees that uh, relied on him to, to keep them on their payroll. And uh, my dad was the kind of guy that would um, let revenue suffer in order to keep a consistent paycheck for his guys because um, he was really invested in his guys and his and his fa- their families. So, you know, from the outside, it would really seem like my dad had his priorities in order, uh, but he had some personal stuff he was struggling with. Um, I was at a training class at work, uh, an in-service training class where ironically doing first aid CPR training. And then... Uh, uh, right in the middle of class, uh, my phone rings and it's my grandmother and I never get calls from my grandmother. It's usually me that makes a phone call on the weekends once a week. And she's like, you need to come home right now. Uh, it's your dad. It's your dad. And she hangs up. 
So I'm kind of shocked and I, I just jump up out of the middle of class, jump in my car. My grandparents lived five miles away. When I pull up, um, they the FD pulls up and the local PD is already there. So I'm already kind of spinning to see what happened. And um, uh, I beat them to the house. I get in and I go right to where my dad's room is. And I find him uh, hanging from uh, uh, an extension cord wire uh, that he that he tied to the bathroom door. And, um, you know, at that point, I'm a cop. I uh, get into rescue mode. I've done about a dozen you know, rescue attempts on suicide attempts. So that, that was it. I cut off the rope. Um, looking back, I knew rigor had set in already. And um, it was just a, a vain attempt at trying to save my dad, but it was too late. And um, so dealing with that, you know, um, you know, tragedy happens to some family members. And I think your audience is like, well, it happens. Uh, but even me, I'd like, hey, put on your big boy pants and get over it. But um, I'm an only child. I had to deal with that myself. Um, and losing my dad was, you know, my, I was very, I'm very proud of my family's legacy. My dad served in the army, my grandfather served in the army, and here I am not in the military, but serving my community as well. So I really relished that legacy. Um, and then six months later, my mom, uh, reveals to me, she has stage three C ovarian cancer. Um, so we, you know, we fight it. It's a, a long process. We, it's about a year and a half process and she beat it. I was there at her chemotherapy treatments, watching my mom suffer, lose her hair. And my mom's a beautiful person. Uh, that's my, my whole life. I was always told, you know, your mom's so beautiful. What happened to you? And, uh, and she really was inside and out. And um, so we beat this thing in, in 2014. My mom hadn't been in a relationship in a long time. She finally meets this guy and um, he proposes to her on Christmas in Palm Springs and uh, it was the first time somebody got with my mom that wasn't after her money because he had money of his own. He was a professional golfer. And um, I'm like, great, my mom's gonna be happy. Uh, my mom wasn't in the best place in her life. She, she was losing her hair, yet this guy, Peter, saw right past that, saw what my mom's heart was about and made her really happy. He was really happy with her. He took the time to invest into my family as well. We were happy. And then um, they were engaged. They were engaged for two weeks only because the, the first week of January, um, she uh, was uh, taken captive on her on one of her properties. Uh, she went to go take the keys from an old tenant, and that old tenant had some issues with my mom, uh, pointed a gun at her, put her inside the house, and. Don't know what the exchange was, but he felt the need to shoot her in the head, kill her, and um, then this coward ended up killing himself. So, um, yeah, in that, in that small three-year, two-year window, I was going through a lot too. We went, we moved about seventy-five miles from our old house to this new place we're at now because I wanted uh, open space and my own little ranch. Uh, I still, I still work in Los Angeles and. So it's a sacrifice to make that drive, but it's worth it for my family. We were in the middle of escrow when that happened. Uh, I was in the middle of attaining my master's degree. And man, I just, it was not a good time. And not that it's ever a good time, but my brain was scrambled eggs at that point. And, you know, I dealt with it. I, I put my big boy pants on, had it, had my own family to worry about. We dealt with it, but um, it's unsettling uh, to be you know, to lose your parents at such an early age. Um, and, um, how old were you when all this was going on? 
well, let's see. That's, this was seven years ago. I'm 45 now, so I was uh, 38, 37, okay. 38. Uh, yeah, mature enough, but still, in your 30s, you don't expect to lose your parents that way. And I, I feel like that I was cheated. They were taken from me. Um, you know, I have young kids, and you know, I felt like yeah, I grew up with both my grandparents, so my kids should too. Um, but they didn't have that opportunity to be spoiled by them. Um, so that, you know, thinking about that makes me really sad because I think my parents would have been really great grandparents. Um, uh, but it's just one of those things where I, I was kind of feeling sorry for myself on the couch. Uh, Facebook had always been a, a desktop platform for me or a laptop platform, never a mobile platform. Uh, and then Instagram comes out. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to open up an Instagram account, connect with some friends. Um, and I did. And, uh, I've all, I was always a class clown. And even in the, in the Academy, I wasn't the honor recruit, but I was voted the class clown. <laughs> um, so that's what I did. I made some silly videos and, um, my friends started sharing them with their friends who I didn't know. And their friends started sharing them. And, uh, one of those friends knew, uh, shared it with a famous cop named officer Daniels. He liked it. He shared it on his page and, you know, my, my page got its jumpstart. I, I got my first thousand followers and that turned, I, I said, Hey, I'm encouraged. It took my mind off of things. Um, and, uh, I don't know, within a month, I think I got to 10,000 followers. And then, um, you know, then I, I kind of got lazy. I'm like, Oh, cool. I'll just let people share my stuff. And I didn't come up with quality stuff. And it's real humbling when you get to 10,000 and then your numbers stop. And then all of a sudden you lose followers. So, um, uh, you know, I think now I'm at 67,000 on Instagram. Um, you know, I expect to be like around 300,000 by now, but it's just not reality. It's um, you're dealing with exterior external factors like people's disdain for police, politics, your opinions may not be popular. Um, and then you might jump to other platforms. Uh, you know, Facebook is at 180,000. TikTok is at uh, 160,000. It's just you just never know. And I've realized it's different audiences. TikTok's your teenager to young twenties. Instagram is 25 to 35 and Facebook is 35 and up. You know, I have a lot of senior citizens that follow me on. So my content on all three platforms are, are completely different on mm -hmm. Facebook. It's more of news, family, endearing stuff on Instagram and TikTok. It's, it's the stuff that I think uh, is sparks a wrinkle in people's brains. Yeah. That's um. We have, we have similar but different stories, obviously, but it definitely set, sounds like, you know, you were dealt a very um, traumatic hand, obviously. I mean, it's one thing to lose your parents, another thing to lose parents in a very um, sudden manner such as that. But, yeah. um, you know, I think we have this, people in the job have this, you know, we're supposed to solve this problem. Whatever the problem may be, problem comes to us, we have to solve it immediately. Like the way you spoke about, you know, immediately rushing your dad and, and going into survival mode, that's common. I feel like anybody in our position professionally uh, would do the exact same thing. I feel like that's it. Um, but then as things kind of settle down, now it's like, all right, now I've got to do that same thing for myself when I'm dealing with processing everything that's happened. And I feel like it's so easy for us to get overwhelmed with taking care of us. We're not used to taking care of us. We're taking care of other people. And when we get right. to, uh, when it is time, we, we typically, uh, I don't want to say typically, but too often don't, you know, we either 
fall into a stage of depression where we just stop take, you know, no self-care, no, um, stop going to the gym, stop eating right, stop sleeping right. We start drinking more, but it sounds like through your experiences, you know, you were able to kind of automatically pivot into something healthy. And I feel like that's a very important takeaway from all this is that, you know, not, I mean, you said, you, you know, you're on the couch and I'm sure, you know, I think it's okay to have our moments, but finding, you know, the re- the relief from everything we deal with is so much, so important as well. Yeah. You got to have your relief. And for me, I have multiple outlets, right? I, I, I like learning new things. I, I could have immersed myself in education. Um, I, I like to, to work out. So I could have immersed myself in working out. And I kind of wish looking back that that's where my focus and discipline would have been that because I would have been this ripped dude, but you know, I, I think I'm a very disciplined person by nature and I think you need that discipline and I refuse to let myself fail. Um, and I wasn't going to cheat my family or myself out of it, you know, going out the easy way. I have a lot to live for. I have a strong foundation of faith and I knew God would uh, carry me through whatever um, issues I was going through. And I had to have a, a, a real enduring faith knowing that Whatever happened, as horrible as it was, happened for a reason. We're not in control. Uh, God's in control. And we may not understand why things are happening the way they are right now, but we will later. It'll reveal itself later. This world's temporary. Um, so I don't want to make this a religious uh, No, episode, no, but, but it's – I think that's an important uh, mindset. You know, I'm not, I'm not religious at all, but I do have a very strong philosophical belief that lines up with exactly what you just said, that, you know, everything that happens – you have to not only embrace it, but you have to love everything that happens, even the negative things, because it's all part of the, of the grand scheme. And I think it's so, it's so hard to lose that, you know, especially in the moment when, when everything's just crashing down around you. And it's like, it's, it's hard to, and there's a story about um, Thomas Edison when his, when his workshop burnt down in New Jersey, um, you know, his entire life's work is on fire and it's burning down. And he just told his kids to get his, his mother, their mother. And like, you're never going to see a fire like this again. You know, it's just like, wow, this is, it's so hard. You know, I've, I've, I've dealt with, I've been dealt several difficult hands as a view. And in that moment, it's so hard to look at and be like, Oh, thank God this is happening. But eventually when we, when we, you know, sit down, there is, there's a grand scheme. There's, you know, whatever it may be, it is temporary. Um, and it's such an important mindset to have. And I, I think that instant gratification, right? That's what we were talking about earlier. We, we want it to be better right now, but that's that's not what we need to focus on. We need to focus on the marathon, not the sprint. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I, I did some things that were unhealthy. Um, yeah, I, I'm not making it sound like, oh, it happened and here I am uh, mm-hmm. because of my my great faith that it, everything worked out. No, it's, that was, that was auto, obviously the, the bottom line was I wasn't going to do anything. Um, but I did have some destructive moments. Absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, when you're in the moment, you feel anger, uh, and pain, which I did. And, uh, I'm a, you know, you know how little boys are aggressive by nature when they're little kids. Uh, I kind of never outgrew that. I'm an aggressive person by nature. Um, so I knew I had to do some physical outlets and, um, yeah, so I was in the gym. Um, you know, I, I started jujitsu and, 
those are all things that still I that still to this day I do because it's healthy for me. Mm-hmm. This job in a lot of ways um, can put you in the same place I was at, right? You're, you're dealing with other people's tragedies, but it's hard to not unsee certain things. Um, the first time I saw a baby autopsy, um, those things stay, they're burned in your memory and different things that you come across on a daily basis might trigger that. The only way to keep sane is to have discipline. You can't erase those things from your memory, um, but you can certainly uh, use that and, and pivot your focus into something else that's healthy. And, uh, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to learn from other people's mistakes. Uh, there is this uh, really famous uh, child abuse investigator uh, from a local agency nearby uh, where I work, and he was involved in my wife's church. And um, he had he handled some notorious cases, cases that investigators across the nation have heard about. He speak he spoke at other um, agencies about his investigation techniques. And people would always ask him, "How do you stay sane? How do you stay sane?" He says he just does. Well, he was bottling it all up inside because within a year after he retired, he lost it. He had to commit himself to an institution. Mm. So you can't bottle these things inside. You can't suppress them. It's not healthy. You have to go. You have to find a healthy outlet, and that takes discipline. And I think if you get to the point where you're in this career, I'd say about, I don't know, I don't want to give too much credit, but maybe three-quarters of this profession got to this point because of discipline. Um, The other people, 25% kind of skated by, right? Uh, but if you're not a disciplined person by nature, it's going to be hard to survive in life. It's going to be hard to have a successful career. Uh, but especially in law enforcement, you've got you got to be disciplined to make it. It's not, you know, it's not the the shootings that'll kill you per se uh, for career survival. It's it's how you do your job. You can get into an IA, you can get a complaint, you can have a destructive personal life, and that will end your career faster than. Uh, statistically more often than the shooting will. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I think of um, like canvas, like painting canvas, super strong, super rigid, hard to break. The moment there is a single thread that gets snipped, it rips like paper. And I feel like that's a great analogy for the discipline in law enforcement. But if you don't have, right, that rigid way, which, you know, talking about the discipline, um, the moment you get that cut fiber, whether it be, the autopsy that doesn't leave your brain, a line of duty injury that, you know, you have trouble recovering from whatever it might be. If you don't have a way to patch that up and get that back to the way it was very easily, you're going to get ripped apart either by falling into a way that'll get you in an IA, get arrested. Uh, Even your own personal burnout will all unravel that, that what was perfectly structured. Um, You know, and it, it is important to have all these different, outlets you need someone to talk to whether it be a therapist or a priest or something like that you need a physical outlet whether it's the gym jujitsu whatever it might be i i just think that you know i my girlfriend and i were talking about this right before we came on that it's so important to be the complete picture right like you can't stress more on one than the other like it really needs to be a balanced thing and it really sounds and you know i didn't want to make it sound like oh no man aram's got it all figured out. He obviously has no issues. I'm sure you do. And I, you know, in your darkest days, I'm sure you had some, some difficult uh, days, but the fact is you were able to overcome them through first off, knowing what you needed and acting on them. I feel like a lot of people know what they need and they were, they, for one reason or another, refuse to act on them, whether it be pride or a shame thing, or 
they they just don't get out of their own way. They start saying like, "Oh man, I'm I don't need whatever." Um, but the fact that you did, and here you are, um, were you a professor at the time when all this was going on? No, I was uh, still finishing my uh, graduate degree. Perfect. So that's what I mean. You look where yeah. you are from then to now. Yeah. I mean, you have multiple careers on top of where you were. So to, to say that you came out of the out of the darkness and into the light, I mean, that's almost underselling what it is you've actually done. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, I, I think my whole life, I've really admired the people who, who you and I would look at and say, man, that guy's got his stuff together. And that's been my whole life in high school. Um, you know, I admired the upperclassmen that were, that excelled in athletics, but not just that did good in school. And yes. not just that they had every right to be the snobby popular kid, but they were nice to the nerds or, you know, the, the not so popular. They, they stood up against the bullies for the people that were getting picked on. And, um, I was fortunate enough to be pretty popular. You know, I think I'm a personal guy, personable guy, uh, but I was captain of the football team all four years. And at my high school, for whatever reason, football was how you made a name for yourself. And, um, but for me, I just liked the competition. Like I said, I was a pretty aggressive kid. and I wanted to be part of a really aggressive sport. So I just excelled at it. And, um, but I really wanted to emulate the people that I admired and, I was in a position where I could do that. I stood up against the bullies uh, for the guys that were getting picked on. Yeah, interesting story talking about that. It was my senior year. I was walking back from lunch. We had open campus. I was walking back with a, a friend of mine. And uh, we see this guy who was in our science class that we're about to walk in. Uh, he gets jumped by these gangsters. And so I instinctively just chase after them after he, they, they hit him. He hits his head in the locker and he collapses. My friend goes to tend to him and uh, I run um, towards these guys. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I grabbed them. They both wore hooded, col- hooded sweatshirts. I grabbed their hoods, and they, you know, with each hand, they both turn around and swing at me. One of the guys uh, just grazes my face, but it, he he knocks over. He pops out a zit, mm-hmm. uh, and it starts bleeding. And you know, face anything on the face just bleeds like crazy. And by then, I had help. The school campus supervisors came and they took them uh, before I can even, you know, do any damage. Um, so uh, about six months after that, I, I'm playing hooky from school. I stayed home sick, and I get a call from the district. And uh, the district says, hey, I know you're sick, but we need you at the district office. Can you hobble your way over here? They, I needed to testify. It was a school hearing about the incident. So one of the one of the aggressors in that case had, had a lawyer and was defending himself. Mm. So I'm like, you know what? I put on my best clothes, put on my letterman jacket, and wanted to look like the all-American kid, walked in, and the school board – greeted me with all smiles. They thought I was a hero. I'm like, oh yeah, I got this in the bag. And I did, you know, I came out, I gave my testimony, what happened exactly like I told you. And that guy didn't have a leg to stand on. Um, The satisfying, that wasn't the satisfying part. The satisfying part was, you know, fast forward 20 years, I'm patrolling in the city I work in and I see this gentleman. Uh, I recognize him immediately. And I get out of my car, we talk, has a little boy with him and he tells him, hey, I want you to meet a hero. And in my head, I'm thinking, I'm a hero because I'm in a uniform and he's all, and he shakes my hand. He's probably eight years old. And he says, this is a guy I told you about that saved my life in high school. And I didn't look at it that way. I looked at it as it was a fight and he got beat up in his mind. It was a very traumatic situation. He thought he was fighting for his life. And it was really humbling when I realized he's told this story to his son. Um, so that, that was a full circle moment. And I love, and, that's just the kind of person I want to be, uh, you know, not that I think I'm an example to anybody, 
but I wanted to be the people that were an example to me. Mm -hmm. So even to this sure. day, I, I could have been very satisfied just being a cop. Uh, a lot of people, that's for, that's the pinnacle of their lives. But for me, it was a natural progression. I was always in the leadership role. I was always, I grew up, I was born in an army base. I lived in an army base as a kid. I was just surrounded by leaders, uh, people that were involved in the community and, and wanted to fight for justice. And that was me. I, I wanted to be the everyday Superman. Um, and I, and instead of just being satisfied with that, I also wanted to, to do other things that fulfilled my personal wants and desires. I wanted to fulfill my education. I wanted to teach others and impart to them what I knew and maybe be an example in a way, I guess, to let them know that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be with multiple groups of people. You don't have to be, I'm just a cop. I got to hang out with cops and cop supporters. No, I, I reach across the line and I talk to people and have dialogue with people that don't necessarily like us. And, um, you know, I thank all the people that, um, were influences in my life for, to, to be the person I am today. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, something that that's always told to me is, um, you know, you never know the impact you make on a single person's life. You know, you, you told the story and you thought you were just breaking up a fight and here you are multiple years later. And this guy told his eight year old about this story and who knows yeah. who else he's told that story and painted you in, in this, this great picture, which is obviously deserving. And, you know, so it's just amazing. You will never know. You'll never know. And uh, something that just came up this weekend, this past weekend, I was listening to a song and I shared the lyrics to a friend of mine. And because uh, I was I was getting down about the whole social media thing. I was like, oh, man, I'm not reaching the people I want to reach, whatever it might be. And uh, I, sh I share the song lyrics. And then the my friend goes, you know, that's that's a really touching uh, passage. Did you message the uh, the artist? And I was like, well, no, they're a pop star. They would never even see it. He goes, how many people listen to your content and they don't reach out to you? And I was like, damn, that was like, that was Mr. Miyagi stuff right there. Like yeah, I was not yeah. expecting that. Um, right. And the same thing goes with your story. You know, you, you, you thought it was significant obviously because of the fight, but you didn't realize where it goes from there. And I feel like everybody listening, whether it's on the job, off the job, private life, whatever it might be. Um, you know, even as simple as I always try to, uh, pay it forward when I'm at a drive through at least once a month or something, you know, pay for the guy behind me. You never know. Like there, I took a class and they were talking about um, the Golden Gate Bridge. And there was a guy who was, he jumped it, he survived. And uh, he gave an interview afterwards and he said, you know, if one person said, hey, how you doing on the way up, I may not have jumped that day. Right. And you, you, you never know what people are going through and when you interact with them and how that individual experience could impact their day. Um, so all the things you're saying just kind of really resonated with that idea to me. So it's great that, you know, now you've taken all these different leadership that, uh, roles. Um, you're part of um, Turning Point USA. Is that correct? Yes. I'm an so, ambassador for Turning Point USA. Can you explain that to, uh, to myself and my audience? Yeah. So Turning Point USA started as a student movement. Um, uh, it was started by their founder, Charlie Kirk. Uh, and for some of you may know who Charlie Kirk is, but he's a very outspoken um, conservative American who believes in uh, restoring America's values. And what I mean by that is hard work, uh, not getting things for free um, when you haven't earned it, especially on the backs of people that worked hard to get what they did. And, um, you know, for, for people who don't may necessarily understand what the difference is between the liberal and uh, conservative, um, not one is bad or the other, it's just different philosophies. Uh, liberals believe that, 
you know, uh, if you have four people, but one pulls the weight and the other doesn't, for whatever reason, uh, that all four should have equality, should have equity in it. They should have the same thing. So I just don't think that's necessarily right. I understand there's some disadvantaged people based on their circumstances, but I also know some of those disadvantaged people based on their circumstances also have a desire to succeed, and a lot of them do. Um, same on the conservative side. The conservative side is if you put extra effort into something and you benefit from that extra work, you should reap the benefits of that. You shouldn't give that away to someone else that doesn't necessarily uh, want to do the work. Why reward them? It's, it's, it's just like the whole participation trophy thing. Why are we rewarding people uh, for mediocre me, mediocrity? Because uh, that's never going to uh, motivate them mm-hmm. to do better. Uh, there's a lot of – you hear stories of this all the time. Inner city youth um, – Take Serena and Venus Williams, for instance. They grew up in South Central LA. Their dad wanted better for them. And, um, you know, they could have been another victim of circumstance. But no, they're the, one of the most recognized tennis people in the world. And all all the things in their circumstances should, te- should have uh, pointed towards them being failures. But they weren't uh, because they embody conservative values. They worked very hard for it. Now, I'm not saying you can't have make your money and be philanthropic or be generous. Absolutely. But that's a choice that you make. Uh, But when the government tells you, no, I need to tax you on your hard work because I want to pay off student loan or I want to reward those that stay home and not want to work. um, There's always a job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I don't understand people that say, oh, I don't I can't work. No, you just chose not to have this job because it's beneath you. Where I've always told people, if I lost my jobs today. I'd have no problem flipping burgers at McDonald's because it's honest work. I'm earning my money and I know I'm going to work hard to the point where I can work it all the way to the top. Um, that's just how I approach everything. When I became a cop, that wasn't the end of it. I wanted to promote, I wanted to work specialized units and um, you know, I, I'm well on my way to get to the top at my agency. So I hear guys like Charlie Kirk and I say, I can really relate to this young man. Um, and uh, he started an organization that, that basically popped up uh, conservative groups around every major university, which was awesome because at the time, most universities were going the opposite way. They were uh, indoctrinating their students. Professors were indoctrinating their students to the liberal ideology. And, um, you know, as a professor, I took offense to that because I'm like, hey, not all of us are like that. So uh, I started posting uh, some stuff that was conservative, uh, they reached out to me and said, hey, we really like your thinking. We don't have a professor. Currently, that's an ambassador. We, and uh, they didn't have a police officer either. So I kind of fulfilled two roles. I came on as an ambassador. Uh, I've been on their live TV show. I've been a, a couple speaking engagements on college campuses. Um, and uh, it really just gave me a, a bigger platform uh, to push um, some of my experiences and to let people know that you can be a success uh, in this in this world today, as a conservative, where we're the minority, um, you know, stick to your guns and do the right thing and good things will happen. Absolutely. And I think it's all great. Just going back to what you're saying, if you lost your job today, you'd go to McDonald's. First off, I think that 98% of my listeners would say that. Um, because for me, when, when I made the decision to leave patrol and go to dispatch that, that, that what if right in the middle between, those two positions. Cause I didn't know, you know, I didn't know if my chief was going to give me a new position in the agency. I was like, all right, what am I going to do now? Um, 
because I have, it's been instilled in me. You want to talk about gender roles or whatever, but the man needs to supply for the family, even though my girlfriend works and she has a great job and a great career and everything, I still would not feel right if I was out of work. So I was like, what am I going to do? That being said, there's actually a really great movie. Apparently it's a memoir as well, but I, I haven't read that. So I don't want to say it, but it's a movie called waffle street. And it's about this guy. He, I think he was a business executive. He was a hedge fund manager and he lost his job during the uh, economic crash. And he goes and he works for basically a waffle house. And he's like, Oh, it's beneath me. You know, whatever the story might be. Um, but he ends up obviously coming back up. And I think at the end of the movie, he says that he manages multiple of these waffle houses. Now that being said, uh, I really appreciate that you are part of this organization that kind of promotes these, you know, go do it mentality basically. So that's, it's great that you're part of that as well. And that's why I wanted to touch on it. Um, all right. So I do have some listener questions for you. Oh, awesome. So we're going to go through those real quick as soon as I pull them up. And then uh, I got one other thing for you. And then we are going to say adieu. Sounds good. All right. So here's what we've got from my buddy Lamont Quarker. He goes, when are you going to make Korean barbecue uh, short ribs for Desna? <laughs> Oh, Lamont. Uh, you know, Lamont actually lives in my city. Uh, oh, okay. He, he's like me. He commutes a long way to go to work. Uh, he's a he's a lieutenant at his agency, really talented guy. You can't miss him. He's like six foot 15, right? He's huge. <laughs> right, he's yeah. huge. Um, and uh, he was a follower of mine for a long time. I had no idea who he was. And then he started recognizing some of the places I was visiting because, you know, I posted my story, stories, my personal life. And I'm like, okay, I need to know who this guy is. And it uh, turns out we worked out at the same gym. I knew who he was. I've seen him. I just didn't know who he was on social media. So it's, it's funny how, how social media works. Uh, but yeah, Lamont, uh, I'll, I'll, I cook it often. I, uh, I, Korean barbecue is something that I enjoy. I, I, I like barbecuing. I do the slow and uh, the slow stuff uh, in the smoker and I do the grilled stuff. Uh, it's just a hobby. My another, another outlet uh, mm-hmm. that other people can enjoy from. You want to, you want to talk about that. And when we get off this recording, I'm going to build my master built 800 gravity oh, nice. smoker. Yeah. So I've been, I've had it for a while. I've just been so busy. haven't built it this weekend's yeah. the weekend. It's going to, it's going to be great. I can't wait. Very cool. Congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. Um, again, it was kind of, I have a friend of mine through social media and everything took his class and he had one and I was like, Oh my God, look at all that amazing food. And it just so happened. I was about to buy the smaller version of it. And he goes, no, it's on sale. And he sent me the link. I was like, Oh boy. <laughs> like it, it was like yeah. Christmas day. Um, go, and, go big or go home. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, going back to Lamont, uh, Lamont's been on the show quite a few times. Cause I think he's a genius in everything he does. I wish I had supervisors that was like him. He was one of the first people on social media when I started my page to really interact with me. And I was like, it, he he was the one in my mind that was the light bulb that was going, wow, my stuff is getting shared and appreciated in California. Maybe there's something more here. So Lamont's always just been an amazing person. I have books on my shelf because of his uh, recommendation. He's just a great guy. Um, next question from my buddy Brent. He says, how can we evolve when the old heads are stuck in the old ways? We can't worry about the stuff we don't have control over. Um uh, and that's probably one of my mantras in life is there's things you can't control. So why worry about it? And sometimes that you know, I, I have that same mentality at home and as nature, as men, 
naturally we want to be fixers. Mm -hmm. But if you're married, you, you got to, you eventually realize that you can't fix certain things. Yes. And if you keep trying, you'll, you'll keep that argument will keep going on at home with your wife or your girlfriend or your significant other. Um, and at work, it's the same way. The old heads are the old heads. You can't change their mind. They're so ingrained in their, and, um, as men, we think we can, let's just get that out of our heads today. All we can do is control what we can control. So these external factors, all you can do is maneuver and manage around them. And if you're a smart guy, and I'm assuming Brent's a smart guy, he's going to figure out a way to maneuver and make things work for the situation that he's in. Um, it's like it's like going camping. Um, you pack up for, for what you think is going to be great weather, but um, then it rains. And if you didn't pack that tarp, shame on you. You failed to prepare. Uh, you've got to prepare for all these external factors that you have no control over. And I, I think when you can figure that out, you'll have great success. I agree completely. Um, that's one of the, I said I was uh, highly philosophical, really big into stoic philosophy. And that's the, one of the key tenets is focus on what you can control and not what you can't. So absolutely. Uh, I've just got two back to back, not even questions. One says no question, but he's a dude with a flex emoji. Uh, <laughs> then I got another one, no question, but what a cool uh, get for an interview. I definitely agree. Uh, next one from Jay Jr. What's your favorite Korean food? Oh, I, I think hands down barbecue. Um, yeah, I like the short ribs, the beef short ribs. Uh, they just got so much. Uh, uh, it, it's f so much flavor in every bite. Um, you know, just to, just to, without giving away my recipe, uh, just the base flavors are sesame oil, soy sauce, garlic, and brown sugar, and onions. You make a quick marinade. The great thing about short ribs is that it's 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 cut bias uh, cut against the grain. So you're not going along the bone; you're going against the bone. So you're getting a lot of meat, and it marinades in 15 minutes. I mean, if you marinate it longer, it's a better flavor. But even after 15 minutes of marinating, you're going to get flavor out of every bite. Um, it's sweet. It's savory. Um, it's got so much flavor in every bite, and I've never had anybody that I've made it for say. They didn't like it. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, the kalabi, the bulgogi, um, anything that has, you know, I, I like the ribeye meat. I like the, the rib meat. Um, that's probably where, where I, I I stick with the, the most. Okay. And then this isn't a question, but it's kind of my follow-up. What's your favorite thing to barbecue or smoke? Um, I mean, like, I'm not to sound cliche, I love brisket. I like the challenge of brisket, the preparation behind it. You know, for, for me to, to trim it takes me about an hour. I'm not one of those guys that just goes and gets the point or the flat. I get the, the honking brisket where I have to separate the point and the flat. And then I, I carve out the fat cap. Um, I save the fat. Right? So I make tallow, beef tallow. I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just enjoy the science behind it because barbecuing really is a science. You have to have the right temperature, the right moisture, the right amount of fat or your meat's going to dry out the right amount of time duration. Um, the right smoke too. You can't just pick any kind of smoke. You got to pick the right wood. Um, so uh, brisket's my favorite with the cost of meat these days. Uh, it's become less and less frequent. So, uh, my new family favorite is, are my St. Louis ribs and pulled pork. Okay. Pork, pork used to be anywhere from a dollar 50 to $2 a pound. So it makes it very economical as opposed to beef, which is pushing $10 a pound now. Sure. Um, but my kids love pulled pork. Uh, my boys love ribs. Uh, pulled pork is just really easy. You, you know, especially if you, you can really set it and forget it. Uh, the only thing I do is I spray uh, with apple cider vinegar 
uh, after the first four, the first four hours, I just leave it. But I spray after that because uh, I build a nice bark. And then um, the last couple hours, I'll wrap it in butcher paper and I'll let the, the steam do its thing. And, mm. um, you know, you, you see people that are pulled pork, especially like sometimes I've seen TV cooks do this where they grab the, the, the claws and they separate yeah, the thing. Yeah. Really, if your pulled pork is done the right way, you throw some oven gloves on and you squeeze it and it'll shred. And mm-hmm. that's my goal. I, like I said, it's that, that satisfaction of knowing that you've done something right uh, and, and then your family's rewarded for it. I love it. Absolutely. I love cooking for that reason. You know, you, you slave over it and you get it on the table and I'm like, what'd you think? What do you think? Yeah. And typically when I cook, uh, no one's talking because they're too busy eating, you know? And I was like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the perfect uh, gratitude yeah. from it. So absolutely. I, uh, you're talking about all this, this barbecuing and smoking. I'm like, oh man, I'm in for a, it's going to be a long weekend. I think as I, I've been learning and researching and everything, but you know, it's kind of trial by fire literally. So right. um, next one, the last question from the listeners is from deputy Hookham. He says, uh, tell him I miss him and his buttery soft skin. <laughs> I love that guy. Uh, Eric is, uh, he's one of the first guys that I actually linked up with. Um, you know, uh, I, I consider the OGs of police social media, Mike, the cop, officer Daniels, deputy Hookham and Bookham. And, uh, it, it, to this day, I get lucky enough to be lumped in with those guys, which I consider a great privilege. Um, but they were around, uh, years before me, they were, they were part of the old vine cop days. Uh, mm-hmm. Vine was still popular. Uh, and they really took me under their wings. I was kind of late into the game, but they brought me into humanizing the badge. Uh, I was with them for a couple of years and we traveled the country talking to doing different events. And that was really the, some, some exposure that, um, uh, I never knew existed. Right. Um, I never knew that there was this world and, um, you know, I gained popularity from that, which I appreciate. It's funny. Um, to this day, uh, when I'm with my family, they just roll their eyes when people come up to me and ask for a photo or say they <laughs> follow me on social media. And a lot of my stuff is localized. Uh, it's, it's California, most of my fan base. But when I do travel, it's nice to get recognized. I, I've been to Utah, Nevada, and uh, just with my family, not even paying attention. And people will stare at me and, and I'm like, oh, okay, they either think they have a problem with me or they know me. And they'll sure enough, they'll come and say, hey, I love your stuff. And those are really humbling moments. Um, it's kind of cool. It's led to great opportunity as well. Um, I, uh, I'm a part of a new show called I Crime. We actually yesterday we were a, a, able to start promoting it. I wasn't able to say what it was before, but it's a it's a syndicated program with Elizabeth Vargas. She was a former host of 2020 mm-hmm. and ABC Nightly News. Uh, most recently, the reboot of America's Most Wanted. Uh, but she has this new show. It's called I Crime, and I'm one of the panel experts on it. And it's been great. I'm 50 episodes in. It's a Monday through Friday show at 1030. You got to check your local listings um, for which channel it's going to be on. Um, but it's really been a treat. And I would have never been offered these opportunities if it wasn't for guys like Eric, uh, Deputy Hookham and Deputy Bookham and Mike the Cop and Officer Daniels that took me under their wings and exposed me to this world. That's amazing. That's great. Uh, yeah. Uh, Hookham has been on a couple times. He's just, he's so much fun and just a wealth of knowledge. You know, everyone knows from his videos, but actually to sit down and talk to him, just like you, um, you really get so much more out of it. Um, yeah. Just, just great people for sure. Yeah. Um, he's got so many layers to them. He's so smart. He, oh yeah. He's like, he, he, the, the, he's articulate. 
he's creative. Yeah, he's he's a package. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that concludes the the <clears throat> listener questions. I've just got my last segment for you. It's a new thing we're doing for this season because we're focusing more on mental health and self care and and personal growth. It's going to be what I call the mental minute. Okay, so I'm going to set okay. a cl- uh, timer for one minute, and I got these questions. Um, just kind of go with it, see what what your responses are. Okay, sure. Here we go. Setting the timer now, and here we go. What's the best book you read recently? Ooh, uh, Capital Gains by Chip Gaines. Okay. What is something you do to ground yourself? Ooh, I ground myself all the time through moments of humility, but uh, prayer. What is something you do for self-care? Um, physical activities, working out, and jujitsu. Would you open an envelope with your death date inside of it? No. Would you be friends with yourself? Uh, of course. Okay. I'm friends with myself now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you want from other people? Uh, respect. What sort of impact are you looking to make here and how will you make it? Um, I want to make everybody good people. Um, that's, that's, I want to make everybody to be happy and I want people to be good people. What do you think is the meaning of life? To give your use your God-given talents. God put you on this planet, gave everybody individual talents, and for you to not use them would be a shame. So uh, I think we're put here for a reason and the reasons are in, rooted in the talents we're given. How do you define the word friendship? Uh, loyalty, trust, um, honesty. And how do you define the word happy and what makes you happy? Uh, satisfaction. Um, oh, time's up. Yeah, go but, ahead. Uh, set satisfaction. I think um, I'm happy when other people are happy. I think happy is a two-way street. You can't be happy by yourself. It's, it's kind of boring to have that. It's kind of narcissistic. But when it includes others and they're happy with you and you're happy together, that's so satisfying. Absolutely. Well, Aram Cho, this has been an amazing conversation. I think we touched about a lot of different important topics uh, from social media to your own struggles and to moving on from there. So I really want to thank you for taking the time and talking to me, talking to my audience. If people want to get in contact with you, I'm sure they already know how, but how do they do it and how they keep up with your newest projects? Well, I'm 911 strong on all socials. And uh, that's probably the best way. You can Google Aram Cho, A-R-A-M-C-H-O-E. First three page Google results will point you to all my projects I'm doing. You can listen to my podcast on all platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, It's the 911 Strong Podcast. My co-host is great. She's also a dispatcher like you, uh, but she's also a personal friend of mine. And uh, we talk about everything law enforcement and sometimes not law enforcement, but I guarantee it's a good time. We're top 200 in the United States, Canada and Europe and Africa for whatever reason. All right. um, but, but we're pulling, uh, tugging at the heartstrings of millions of people around the world. And uh, I think if they enjoy us, I think you will too. Awesome. And uh, one of these days I'm coming out to California to meet with Lamont for the first time. So I will be sure to hit you up because apparently you're right down the block. So I'm looking forward yeah. to It'll be a good time, Charlie. All right. Aram, thank you so much for your time. Everyone listening, stay tuned. We'll wrap up. And uh, thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Every morning, I wake up just the same. Another victim of ordinary fame. I don't see myself. As invincible, it's not true at all.
if you've never heard of Aram Cho before or taken in any of his content before, go check him out. Uh, I'm really enjoying the newer history-based content where he's teaching about the history of law enforcement, law enforcement culture, and a couple things like that. Uh, he's actually inspired me to try doing a couple th- different things to change my content on different uh, profiles. I'm also uh, reading Gary V's book, Crushing It, and he's kind of talking about attacking different realms of social media. So it was very interesting to have that conversation with Aram at the same time that I was reading that book. Also, he and I talked about smoking meat and, um, that was back in August when I first got my grill or was first getting my grill and I've used it a couple times now. And let me tell you so far, I smoked a big old pork shoulder made pulled pork took about 12 hours to do it, but it came out great even though we ate at midnight and then I've done chicken a couple times as well. It's going pretty damn well. So I'm learning and one day I'm going to try some Korean barbecue and see if I can be up to snuff with Aaron himself. So definitely check out 108 meats when it comes to uh, Instagram near you. So before we shove off, before we end today's episode, uh, I want to talk to you about Hurricane Ian. I had one topic that I was going to end the episode with and uh, life happened, or should I say Ian happened, and um, kind of changed my plan. So we're going to stop and uh, talk about that and what I was going to talk about this week, which was actually going to be about faith, religion, spirituality, things like that, is going to be on next week's episode and we'll talk about that in just a minute. So let me talk to you a little bit about Hurricane Ian. Now, I've been in Florida uh, about 14 years now. That was a weird noise that came out of my mouth. Anyway, that's what she said. Anyway, I've been in Florida for quite some time. I've experienced some hurricanes, a lot of tropical mumbo-jumbo. I've been in southwest Florida for a year now. Uh, Last year, we were lucky, no hurricanes. The year before that, in November, I want to say it was Tropical Storm Etta that hit, and literally, we were on the coast, and I, I remember being, like, shin high in water from the from the washup. It was, it was pretty insane. I'm so glad that <laughs> that hurricane was not this hurricane because we were that close, and it could have been uh, catastrophic. So, that being said, I really, I thought when I was on the east coast of Florida that I got some doozies of hurricanes, but I really didn't at the same time because all the damage was nominal. It really wasn't anything to be concerned about. So that kind of gave me this sense of security, a little bit of balls, you know, talking about hurricanes. And so as we were getting hyped up for Ian, I was ready for it to just, you know, bob and weave and go out to the, you know, to the other coast or, you know, hit somewhere else. I wasn't expecting an impact. I remember we were going to get mandated to work. So, uh, a week ago now, we were going to get mandated to work. We didn't know exactly when, so I had to pack all my bags and stuff. And the morning before I did so, so this was the Monday before the storm hit, uh, I was watching the news and the weathermen were talking about this is going to be a storm of the century, life-changing, blah, blah, blah. I was like, all right, I guess we're starting to get a little serious here. So, you know, girlfriend and I are both uh, working for different law enforcement agencies. We're not going to be home to take care of the house. So I went and I got 10 sandbags, put them in front of our driveway. We have like a stoop that's up, so I wasn't worried about it coming through the front door. But, you know garage has a whole bunch of stuff in it so got that then uh tuesday night i was mandated into work storm was going to hit wednesday morning so i went in tuesday night it starts it was starting to rain starting to get windy i parked next to a tree um probably like caddy corner to a tree i was gonna there were plenty of parking spots like just next to the tree glad i didn't do that um locked into the police department slept in our records department 
Storm hit Wednesday. And I got to tell you, my stoic philosophy uh, really helped me get through the storm because everyone around me was freaking out for one thing or another, you know, their house, their family, their pets, whatever it might be, um, which I understand. But using the stoic teachings that I've you know been practicing for several years now, I realized that there was nothing that I could do to impact what was going on. The storm was going to happen and it was going to impact the area one way or another, either good, indifferent or bad and, you know, catastrophic. And there was nothing I could do to stop it. You know, I couldn't go out there and be like, yo, Ian, go somewhere else, boy. No, you know, I knew it was coming. So instead I let it happen. You know, I sat down, I looked out the window, watched it, and, you know, I took in the spectacle. This is, you know, uh, I've talked about the Thomas Edison quote when his factory burned down, and he was like, go get your mom and all your friends. They're never going to see a blaze like this again. That's kind of how I was with the storm. I've never, you know, I wasn't expecting, I, w- I was taking it in, right? So, storm hit, we lost power, things like that. I, I don't want to give too much away because I don't want to give up my, um, my department or anything, but some bad things happened, man. It was, it was, a, it was a rough go, had to go to different agencies for assistance. Mutual aid came in and let me tell you the amount of support from mutual aids in the, in this South, Southern Florida region was absolutely amazing. Uh, worked, you know, I stood side by side by side with a bunch of officers, dispatchers, uh, national guards, stuff like that, helping to patch together this community. Uh, Absolutely amazing. I know, you know, I talked to some guys from Texas and the Northeast, even out West, and a hurricane is so much different than other weather events. Um, maybe, you know, like a, a really bad blizzard or nor'easter in, uh, in, in the Northeast U.S. or like lake effect snow, maybe that stuff would be close. I don't know if you guys get locked in, but when we did, I mean, it was... There were times it was like Lord of the Flies. There were times it was like prison. It was it it, it got a little weird, you know. Uh, I know that I'll never be able to do prison because I was in I was stuck in my PD for seven days and it was not a good time. So you know, don't have to worry about me going the wrong way because I could I couldn't do prison time. And in a few weeks, when we talked to a guy that spent twenty years in prison, I now have a newfound respect for what he did and what he went through. Uh, definitely harrowing. So, um, I, I'll t- I wanted to talk about that. We can talk about, uh, the religious stuff next week, but in the meantime, if, uh, you want to talk about any of the things that we talked about this week, you want to give your response or just kind of your two cents on it, whether it be the things that Aram and I talked about, whether it be about discipline or whether it be about the hurricane, if you were involved in it, if it impacted you in any way, shape or form, you can give me a call. Like I said, this second part of the episode, or final part of the episode is going to kind of be the wild card. If anybody, um, wants to talk, you know, just drop a line. It's not going to be like a one-on-one conversation, but you can leave a voicemail and I'll air it and kind of talk on it next week going into the show. You can either message me on Instagram or you can call into my voicemail and I'm going to give that number, but, um, I prefer the, this, the, the phone voicemail thing, because this is audio. I don't want to just read people's messages. Um, but I went, I will, if that's the way you're comfortable, but the number is going to be three, five, two, six, one, zero, one six nine two three five two six one zero one six nine two. It's also if you go to my Instagram, 
and you can actually hit the contact button and my phone number is right there. It goes to, like I said, a Google Voice voicemail box. Leave a message and I can play it on the show. Next week, let's talk about it. We actually have a double episode week. So another thing that I want to do this year to differentiate the previous years is so this is going to be normal, is we are going to have a show on Monday and we're going to show, have a show on Thursday. On Monday, we have Punk Rock Cops Episode 1 with my friends Robin and Roger. They're going to talk about becoming both punk rockers and the police and how the two came to be one. And then Thursday, we're going to have Episode 2 of the podcast. It's a very special guest. It was my first in-person interview since doing the podcast. It's my old jujitsu sensei. Mr. George Rago is very cool, very interesting. I'm going to show some videos from that day. He did a couple of jujitsu demonstrations, and I'm going to show it to you guys through uh, my different channels. So definitely take a look out for that. And then the following Monday is going to be the the brand new relaunching of the Jersey Boys podcast with me and Frank Castle. We are going to do so every other week. It's going to be Punk Rock Cops episode uh, ten eight episode. Jersey Boys, 10-8 episode. Punk Rock Cops, 10-8 episode. So that's how we're going to do it. That's the plan. We'll see how long that goes. Uh, best laid plans of Mice and Men. But that's the plan. So next week's 10-8 episode is going to be all about jujitsu and how, to dis- how discipline can help you achieve your dreams. So again, we're kind of going with that discipline topic as well. Until then, be sure to like the podcast post on Instagram, the one that has the, the new... Um, images and everything share the episode rate the podcast get the word out uh rate review subscribe whichever podcast platform you're on check out the merch store 10-8-memes.ecwid.com check out all the sponsors everything is going to be listed in the podcast description i think that's it until next week take care of each other stay safe i'll see you on monday for the punk rock cops series debut and i'll see you on thursday for Mr. George Rago. Until then, 10-8, out. Can't take another second of this head Making up stories and saying I'm better off dead They want me to be this perfect thing Like everything is fine, like everything's okay But I'm not close to perfect, I'm not close to sane I'm not the one to worship and I'm not the one to blame But you made up your mind and you put me on your stage Just take it all back, I'm not the king of anything second of this pain I've tried to be the person all of you want me to be Maybe I'm okay with who I am I know I'm just a child But I'll try to be a man But I'm not close to play